So we've been working through Jonah. We'll be back in Jonah today. If you've got a Bible, you're welcome to go ahead and turn there. And Jonah's kind of had a rough go of it to, to this point. He has run from God. He tried to disobey God's word. Well, he didn't try to disobey God's word. He disobeyed God's word. And he tried to escape God's presence, and God wasn't letting him go. So he ends up in the midst of a storm on top of the ship and eventually says, hey, throw me overboard. That's the way you fix your problem. He ends up sinking to the bottom of the sea, and eventually God appoints a fish to swallow him. That's God's grace on Jonah. Now, I know that doesn't sound gracious, but that's God's grace on Jonah. That's what we've, what we've learned as we've walked through this prophetic book. And it was grace that led that fish to carry Jonah around for three days and then move him to a place where he recognized God's power. And it was grace that made Jonah the projectile vomit that landed him back on the beach. That's not my words, brothers and sisters. That's the scripture. Okay? So he got vomited out on the beach. That's what the Bible says. And I don't think that sounds like grace. And I know that that probably doesn't, it's not something we're all looking for and trying to figure out how do I get swallowed by a whale and vomited out three days later. I know that that's not what we look for, but that's God's grace. It's his provision and his work in this man's life. And unfortunately, for many of us, that's where the story of Jonah ends. And I was thinking about it this week as I began to study Jonah chapter 3. I don't think I can remember a time when I was younger, and I, and I, I could be wrong about this, but I can't remember a time growing up in Sunday school I can't remember a time when I've heard someone teach on anything past the fish. And it struck me. Because God's glory and His grace and His goodness, His provision, don't stop shining in this book when Jonah ends up back on the beach. The reality is, is that we're going to spend the next couple of weeks studying this big God story. And it has nothing to do with a fish Nothing to do with the man he swallowed. Certainly the man he swallowed plays a part. Certainly the fish played its part. But this is a story about God. Not just any God, not a pagan, impotent, useless, powerless God, but the God, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, creator of heaven and earth, ruler over all things. So each week we've come to this text and, and we've asked, what does this teach us about God? What does this reveal to us about God? What can we know about God from his prophetic book? What does it reveal then about us? And once we see those two things, what are we going to do in response? How are we going to respond to this God? And today it's not going to be any different. As we move and we study how God sent and now Jonah went in Jonah chapter 3, we're going to ask those same three questions and we'll continue to do so. Why don't we begin reading? to see, where the, see what the Lord has for us. Beginning in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying... Now that right there is an indication that God, there's something going on with God, because he didn't just write Jonah off. He didn't just look at him and say, well, you know what, he failed the first time. I'm done with him. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying... Arise, go to Nineveh, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, if you remember in chapter 1, this was a crisis of faith for Jonah. It was a moment of decision. It was a place where he could succeed or fail. I mean, really, this was the pivotal moment in his life. 
So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. You see, we're getting to see a, a brand new Jonah. We're getting to see a reinvented Jonah, a Jonah who is living again in light of God's grace, a Jonah who has experienced the power and the presence and provision of God and who is acting in accordance with it. See, before he was hiding, he was, he was, he was, he was cowering, he was running, he was, he was trying to get out from, from, the, from the line of sight of God. He climbs on a boat and he heads to, to Tarshish to, to hide, to, to spend the rest of his life running. But God had done a work in him. It changed him. Drastically changed him. I don't know about you. I, I think, <clears throat> just guessing, if this had been me and I had seen God's power in this way, I'd probably go too. <laughs> I mean, I just got... I mean... I, Probably, we don't know for sure, but probably Jonah still has the gastric juices dripping off of him, right? I mean, he's standing there stinking of fish, probably. We don't know for sure. It could have, could have been days, weeks, months, but, but it appears the way the story's told, he gets vomited out, stinking like fish. Hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh. <laughs> I think I'd go. I don't know if you would or not. I hope you would. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go across the city, or go into the city, I'm sorry, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now I want you to just imagine, is that how you're approaching Springfield? or the city that you live in, or the place that you live, your neighborhood, the people you work with, are you walking in, hey, 40 days, and we're done. Are you ready to be that confrontational? Or are you ready to be that direct? Or ready to be that honest? So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. He began to go into the city and to a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown and the people of Nineveh believed God. You know, it's significant. I think it's significant that they believed. Nineveh was the most powerful city of its day. They didn't look to others for help. They didn't, they didn't think they needed anyone else. People came to them for support. They, they, they were the center of economic uh, resources. They were the center where people came to. They were kind of like the Springfield of their region. They were the place that people came to get stuff and do stuff. They were known for their power. They were known as a people who would kill just to kill. Just to, If you're opposing us, if you're in our way, we're going to get rid of you. They had power. And they had provision of their own. Who who can stand against us, they might say. In fact, there's a place in the scripture where Nineveh was, was said to consider itself the I am, the, the self-existent one. And I think it's significant that they believed because the, the name that God has been being called by in this book the whole time is the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, translated from the Hebrew I you see, God is going to put them in a place where they see he is. 
They are going to be in a place that they see he was, he is, and he always will be. And they heard the warning and they believed God. But it wasn't just that they believed. They believed God. You see, Jonah, as he's going around preaching and proclaiming, we don't, we don't get the sense that, I mean, we, we, ought to, we ought to be able to tell that this isn't the same phrase he just said over and over and over and over for three days as he's walking around Nineveh. That he probably was saying other things. God had more of his message to share. This is the summary of it we get. But, but as he proclaims this message, they don't look at Jonah and shoot the messenger. They don't look at Jonah and pat him on the back. They believed God. That's significant. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And what we see happening in this moment, what, what, what happens in Nineveh is, is maybe the first great awakening. Now, we talk about great awakenings in our, in our church history. We talk about men like George Whitfield and, 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 and men like John Edwards, and we think about how, how God has powerfully used them in their time, and, and we think back to these great awakenings to these great revivals of history, brothers and sisters, this is no less great. A city who thought it was was brought to the feet of the God who is. And they were revived. It's pretty powerful. You see, today, as we ask the question, as we ask the question, what does this reveal to us about God? We're going we're gonna to answer it a little differently. As we've done this week after week through this letter or through this, this book of the Bible, we have specified and called out through the text specific attributes of God, specific traits of God. We've talked about his steadfast love. As we looked at the storm that Jonah was in the midst of, we looked at his steadfast love and we, we recognized, we had to own, we had to, we had to come face to face with the fact that Jonah wasn't in a storm because God loved him so little. We, we, we had to see that Jonah was in this storm because God loved him so much. His love was steadfast, not what Jonah wanted, but what Jonah needed. You see, God wasn't cowering and, and, and kowtowing to Jonah. God was loving Jonah exactly as Jonah needed in that moment. And so we saw his steadfast love. We, we have highlighted his glory as we called it and defined it as Jonathan Edwards did. His, it's the outshining of his internal excellence. We have seen the breadth of his traits, the breadth of his power, the the. the, the presence that he has at all times in all places, the knowledge he doesn't have to learn, that the divine attributes that, that, that demonstrate he is the eternal God. This outshines from him, it shines out from him, and it's the way that we experience him. And so we stand in the light of his truth and faithfulness, and we enjoy the glory of a God who's worthy of worship. You see, we've seen his glory. We've seen in these pages his sovereign grace, grace of goodness given by an unobligated God. He didn't have to act, but he chose to act. Grace given by an unobligated God to an undeserving people. Because not only do we not deserve it, we can't earn it. And we've seen this grace. And, oh, it, you know, it, it, it's good. Any kind of goodness we get, any kind of gift we get is good. But his grace, his goodness, his gifts, 
come from his sovereign reign. And so this grace is not just any grace. It's not just me feeding a homeless man on the street that fills his belly for a moment. It's the sovereign grace of an eternal God that provides for your good forever and ever and ever. You see, we've seen that over and over through the pages of this story. And today we're not going to call out and focus on just an individual attribute so much as we're going to see the culmination of these attributes as they direct God's mission, as they author God's message, and they enlist God's messenger. And it's all there, right there in the text. Let's just start with his mission. God's mission. God is the chief missionary. and He's been working his mission from before man's first breath. Before the first time we drew in air, God has been about this mission. You see, Jonah didn't wake up one morning and think, oh, I ought to go to Nineveh and tell him about this man named God. Well, he wouldn't do that anyway because he wouldn't have thought God was a man. But I'm not just going to go and tell, tell people about God. That, that wasn't Jonah's idea. In fact, we see that that was actually opposite of Jonah's idea. We've seen that the text has shown us Jonah didn't want anything to do with that. He didn't want anything to do with anyone outside of his people knowing about God. So he ran and he hid. He actually opposed it. So we know this isn't Jonah's idea. We know it's not Nineveh's idea because they're not looking for God. I mean, there's nowhere in the text that we can look and say, hey, Nineveh called out to me and they're looking for me, looking for me so Jonah, go and tell them about me. It's not Nineveh's idea. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. This mission of grace and mercy is God's prerogative. It's God's invention. It's God's desire. It's God's design. He's the one that's at the heart of it. He is the ultimate missionary. And he's always been doing this mission. He's always been about doing this mission. From before the foundations of the world, before he said, let there be light, he knew Jesus was coming. We learn that in 1 Peter 1, verse 20. He knew. Jesus knew all along from the very foundation of the world before, before any order was brought, before any, uh, any dust was formed in the shape of a man, Jesus knew he was coming for him. He was coming to stand in his place. Before the foundations of the world, God predestined you believers to be forgiven. Ephesians chapter 1. Before the foundation of the world, your name, Christian, is written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 13. God has known you, always known you, and always been for you. He has always been about this mission to come and get you. He is the first chief missionary. He is about his mission. When, when Adam and Eve rebelled in sin, he was not caught off guard. It's not like he had to scramble and come up with a plan. You know, when my plans don't work, I've got to figure out a way to re react. And I pride myself on that, you know, because I'm not, I'm not tied too tightly to any one plan. I'm like a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants kind of guy. I, I appreciate the reaction. I appreciate the, the change. In fact, it keeps things interesting for me. God will never know what it is to react without foreknowledge. Not in the way we have to, because he already knows. He's always been working it. 
He's always been after plan A. He doesn't need a plan B. This is what he does. He's always about his mission. Well, what is that mission? What is he doing? What, what is it that God is after? There's a number of ways that I could describe it. There's a number of ways I have described it. There's a number of ways we could define it and, and give words to, to, uh, to demonstrate it. But I think, in light of what we've seen in this text, not just now, but through the whole thing, I, I think there's only one way that we can really demonstrate it clearly. God's mission is to restore a right attitude of reverent worship in men and women. I thought God was, I thought Jesus came to save the seek and save the lost. Yeah, He did, so that they could worship. I, I, I thought, I thought He came to serve. Yeah, He did, so that we could worship. I, I thought, I thought He was working towards restoration and making all things new. He is, so we'll always worship. See, God is about restoring the right and reverent worship in men and women. We've seen, seen this happening over and over through the, letter, the, the book of Jonah. We've seen it happening time after time after time. With Jonah, we saw it happening. A rebellious and irreverent prophet standing on the ship in the middle of a storm saying, I fear the Lord. And what he's saying in those words is, I revere the Lord. I revere Creator. I, I revere Yahweh. I revere Him. But the actions of his life would speak different. God sent a storm to turn him around. God gave him grace that he might walk in obedience that's the life of gracious God, of a gracious God calling his people back to worship him. That's the result. The, the, the sailors, those pagan sailors standing on the ship as, as the storm is screaming around them, doing everything they can to save themselves, throwing everything overboard, just getting rid of the cargo. I can't imagine how upset their people were when they got to the other side and they didn't have anything with them. Getting rid of it all. Crying out to their false gods and nothing was working. And then when Jonah says, throw me overboard, they're still relying on themselves, still trying to do their own thing, and they're digging deeper in the, in, in the waves. Finally, they know I can't do it. we can't do anything. We're going to die if we don't do this. And they throw him over. And what happens? The, the seas go calm and the wind quits blowing. And they are confronted with the power of, and the mercy of this God. And what did they do? They worshipped. On the deck of that ship, they offered sacrifices and they made vows to the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. See, God, in His mercy, gave them that chance to know Him. Gave them that chance to experience them. I don't know what happened when they got home. But when they'll stand before God, they'll have no excuse. Because they'd seen their opportunity to worship the God who created. And Nineveh, huh, Nineveh, think about Nineveh. A great and powerful city. 
They need no one for nothing, and everyone bows to them, and yet they are confronted in their sin. And what did they do? They believed God, and they called for a fast, and they mourned their sin. They worshiped God. Brothers and sisters, I know, I, I know what this sounds like. I know it sounds crazy to say that God is all about his worship. It's all about worship of him. I, I know that it sounds jealous and narcissistic and, and arrogant to think. Brothers and sisters, I think this is what our God is about. In his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, John Piper writes, Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. You see, we were created to worship God. We were created for this very thing. We were created to worship Him, and, and, and we don't naturally worship Him. In fact, naturally, what just what comes natural to us is to, to, to be like Jonah and run and hide from Him. And to say we worship God, but not live like we worship God. It's natural for us to be like the pagans and, and raise up all kinds of created gods. To, to raise up all kinds of gods of our making who, who live under our control. Well, those are powerless gods. They're, they're feeble and they're, they're temporary and they're failing. But it's natural for us to do that. That's what comes out of our natures to, to worship the creation rather than the creator. We could be like the Ninevites. It's, it's natural for us to, to build our own kingdom up and say, I don't need anyone. I'm independent. Look at what I've done for myself. It's natural. But God knows that's not what's best. But God stepped into the midst of of our broken worship and redirects it. You see, that's the God. That's the God that, that, this, that this prophetic book is revealing. I know, I know, I know it sounds narcissistic and I know it sounds arrogant. I know. Am I saying, could I possibly be saying that God is jealous for our worship. Yes. Can, can I possibly be saying that God thinks he's the best object of worship? Yes. Could I possibly be saying that God wouldn't accept any other worship than worship that's directed at him? Yes. But God is not jealous like you. He's not arrogant like me. He's not jealous like me or arrogant like you. See, God knows that we were created to worship him. And so the best thing that he can do for us is reorient us so that we might worship him. In, the, in answering the question, what is the chief purpose of man? What, what was mankind created for? The Westminster Catechism summarizes the scripture saying this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. See, what that tells us 
as in this summary of Scripture, is that our chief purpose, the reason we were created, was to worship God. It's not to, to build a kingdom here on earth. It's, it's not to go and, and, and work at your occupation. It's not to go and, and, and do anything other than live a life that purposefully brings glory to Him. That's your purpose. Now, you can do that through your job. You can do that through your family. You can do that by the ways that you engage with the world. You can do it all. You can do it sitting in a church on Sunday morning. You can do it sitting in your neighborhood on a weekend night. You can do it having dinner with friends in a restaurant. But our chief end is to bring Him glory. Not because we've been forced to it. Not because He's put us on our knees, but because He's woken us up and we decide to worship Him. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we, 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 showed, we saw it in the text. God is going to be glorified. He doesn't need us to be glorious. But He wants us to direct His glory towards Him, to direct our worship towards Him. Because He knows that's where we'll enjoy Him most. These two phrases are not independent of one another. They're not contrasting in one another. They're dependent upon one another. Your chief end, my purpose in this world, is to worship, to glorify God. And as I glorify God, I get to enjoy Him fully and completely. And as I turn my attention other places, you see, I can't run and hide. From God and still enjoy Him. I can't look to the creation instead of the Creator and still enjoy Him. I can't find satisfaction in myself and still enjoy Him. He must be the center. And so, yes, God is after your worship for your good. You see, he knows that we will either be consumed with, God, with, with his glory in worship, or he knows that we will be consumed by his glory in our rebellion. And he wants for you to be consumed with it in worship because his desire is that none would perish. His desire is that none would be condemned. And so he sends his message. He speaks his word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's his message. And, and, and what was the message that Jonah was going to say? He says it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. What? The message that I tell you. Jonah wasn't going speaking his own words. It wasn't Jonah's message. It wasn't Jonah's creation. It wasn't Jonah wasn't the author. It wasn't Jonah that came up with the statement, 40 days, Nineveh, come on, watch out. You're going to be overthrown. That wasn't Jonah. It was God. His message, God's message, is exactly what should be proclaimed to accomplish God's mission. Any other mission, or I'm sorry, any other message, any other message will accomplish another mission. 
Like you, you preach your message. You preach your message to be approved by people. And I'm telling you, you will gain approval in front of people, but they won't be believing God. They'll believe you. But that's a weight that I face every week. So wait, every time we open our mouths about Jesus, we should recognize we carry. His message accomplishes his mission. Our message, the ways that we twist it around and make it a little more palatable, the ways that we work with it to make people feel better about it, it'll accomplish a mission, but it's not going to accomplish God's mission. He's given us a message, and in that message is power. In that message is power for life. Anything other than that is temporary. But I I just want you to think for just a second. What would we do if a man came into Springfield calling out, 40 days, Springfield, you're going to be destroyed. How would we classify that? I, I think I'd be skeptical. Just to be honest. I think I'd want to lump him in with the legalists that stand at the corner of Walnut and South Street on weekend nights with their signs. I think I've been guilty of doing that to street preachers that stand on their milk crates with their microphones. And I think, I think we need to be skeptical to, a, to an extent. I think there's a reality that there's plenty of people out there using God's words but they're twisting them around and making them their own message. The legal is standing on Walnut and South Street. But what if, as those preachers that stand on the street corners preaching somewhat offensive messages, instead of acting skeptically for them, we prayed that God's message would be proclaimed through them? What if rather than thinking that we had to have all the lighting and all the smoke and all the, the instruments and all the, 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 the sound and everything just right? And I'm skeptical of a church that doesn't fit my idea of, a pers- of what a church should. I'm skeptical of a group of people who would gather and listen to a guy shout for 45 minutes. And he's sometimes offensive. I hope I'm offensive with the right stuff. But what if instead of being skeptical of the offense just because we hear the offense, we prayed that in light of the offense, people would see the grace of God made visible. See, avoiding, I'm of this conviction, avoiding the, the offense of God's message will only hinder people from truly enjoying God. No one goes and takes radiation and chemotherapy treatments just because it sounds fun. In fact, being told by your doctor, hey, you need radiation and chemo, doesn't sound like good news unless they first told you that you have stage 2, 3, or 4 cancer. Does it? No one wants to hear that kind of news. But everyone wants to hear the hope 
that comes after that news. Brothers and sisters, we cannot bring a message of the gospel that does not somehow carry the offense of our sin against this holy God. I mean, think about this. All over the Bible. Have, I mean, have you read the Bible lately? I, I can remember when I first started reading it that I read it to justify myself. Like I wanted to be able to, to drink because I was literally getting drunk like every other night. This is not like recent history. This is years ago. Just, just saying. <clears throat> totally threw that off. Should have said that. I wanted to be able to drink. So I scoured the pages of Scripture. It doesn't say in there not to drink. What have those people been telling me at church? Bunch of hypocrites. They're just trying to keep me from having a good time. I wanted to be able to sleep around with whoever I wanted to be able to sleep around with. I couldn't find anywhere where it specifically said, don't sleep with anybody you feel like sleeping with. Oh, those theologians, they're just making up a new meaning for fornication. That, that's their own device. That's their own thing. I don't see anywhere where it says that. I'm God's going to love me. He's going to be gracious to me. Look, it says it all over. I wanted to justify myself. So I wouldn't really read the Bible. I'd come skip around and pick what I liked about the Bible. And then God in his graciousness led me to read the Bible. And I was offended over and over and over again. I am a sinner. I have failed the God who created me. I deserve nothing but condemnation. I deserve misery and suffering. I deserve this. This is what I've earned. Even the sins of the, and the suffering that I get from other people, I really deserve it. I shouldn't be asking, why am I suffering? I should be asking, why has anything ever good ever happened to me? Why, why does good ever happen at all? Because this is what the Bible showed me. Tim Keller, I heard him say this once. I, I don't know when he said this. It was in the midst of a conference some, at some point he was speaking at. He said, if the Bible isn't making you mad at times you aren't really reading it. Because it brings us to a place where we cannot hide. The light shines upon us and we are sinners. But God, God has a message that empowers a mission and at the same time, we're finding offense on the same pages that we're seeing ourselves as guilty. He is laying the shadow of the cross upon us, and he is saying, you are forgiven. There can be hope. There is one who has paid a price for you who has stood in your place and taken my wrath and offered you my blessing. You see, that's the Scripture. So as soon as I get mad, I can't help but find myself often weeping. 
because his steadfast love is for me. His sovereign grace is upon me. And as I'm sharing you my story, I hope you're able to see it's your story. If you're believing in Jesus and following after him as your Savior, then the offense gives way to grace, grace that we can appreciate, grace that's actually worth something, grace that's actually capable of something. See, in his message, we find not only offense, but we find the power of God unto life. You are given breath in your spirit. You are given strength and power to persevere. It's this message that he spoke and he continues to speak. See, we don't deserve him. But God is turning many of us back towards him in worship by speaking his message so that we can enjoy him. That's what he's doing. That's what he's always been about doing. And all along the way, he's enlisting messengers, people to go, people to tell, people to facilitate the telling. In fact, I'd just like to deal with that second question at this point as we think about his messenger. What does the text reveal about us? What does it show us about us? I mean, obviously, it's easy to see what it says about Jonah, but what's it say about you and me? Jonah was a broken dude. Jonah was lost in, in, in himself. He was running and hiding. He was experiencing God's grace, and then he's found in, in, in obedience, following after completing the mission that God had given him. I can't help but put myself in Jonah's shoes. I'm Jonah. I've run and hid. I've worshipped other gods. I've tried to find satisfaction in myself. And because of experiencing God's grace, I've stood up and walked back the way he'd had me go and begun to proclaim his message. But I don't want to just put myself there. Church family, brothers and sisters in Christ, recipients of life, we are the people that God has chosen for his mission. We are Jonah. We are Jonah. We are the ones who ran and hid. We are the ones who have sought after our own things. We are the ones who have looked for satisfaction within ourselves. We are the ones who have experienced God's grace. We are the ones who have been swallowed up by a fish later to be vomited out for his purpose, to go on his mission and proclaim his message. We are Jonah. The question is not, has God called me to his mission? The question is, how has God equipped me and empowered me for his mission? You don't need a big heavenly voice coming out of the sky and saying, go. Did that help? If it'll help, I'll do it again. Go. 
I love the interaction. Let's do some more of that. Go. <laughs> love that. You don't need that. Jesus has already given it to you. As you go, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And, and I am with you always to the end of the age. He sent you on his mission, empowered with his message. You are his messenger. See, as long as worshiping God is not the heart of our city, it's not the heart of our state or the world that we live in, we have been given this message to proclaim God's message. We have been given this mission to proclaim God's message. Many are going to be offended at you. They might actually try to shoot the messenger. I hope not for real, but they might. They will run from God and they'll point their anger and their frustration at you. Trust me, I know. I get unfriended off of Facebook all the time. And you know, that hadn't taken anything from me. I hadn't removed my identity in Christ. I've had friends that just don't want to talk to me anymore because I'd rather them love Jesus. While many may be upset, many will be saved. And they will be given the truth by which they come to worship this great God who saved you and them. Because God owns the mission, authors the message, and directs his man or his messenger, the results are to his glory. To God be the glory. Nineveh believed God. A revival broke out. Lives were changed. Go Springfield. Uh, let's even bring it closer. Will this church? Will we? Will Springfield? Smack dab in the midst of a city who on one hand boasts number four in the nation for biblical mindedness. And on the other hand, in our stories, in our news stories every day, stories of hate, murder, theft, ignoring the need of our brothers and sisters, segregated lives. See, I think we have a form of religion, and we need to be offended with the message of the gospel that we might then turn and worship God fully. That we and our city might enjoy him forever. Whether revival breaks out or not, we can't control. To God be the glory. So what do we do to do in response? What, what do we do with this? As recipients of God's message, as, as recipients of God's grace, I'm sorry, there's only one good response. 
obey. Arise and go proclaim God's message for his mission. The word of the Lord came to the way church. Arise. Go to Springfield. What will you do? Whose mission are you going to devote your life to? Whose kingdom are you going to seek to build? Whose message are you going to proclaim? Will you go? Crisis of faith, just like our brother Jonah. Will you go? Let's pray.